a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode, Liz and I talk with Dr. Cole Ratcliffe about five steps for a better relationship. We discuss why annoying and poor behavior in marriage is so common and why trying to help your partner typically doesn't work. He then walks us through the layers of the relationship needs circle, including primary and secondary emotions, and he reveals the deeper why behind bad behavior. Cole Ratcliffe was raised in Springville, Utah, and completed a bachelor's degree at BYU. He obtained a master's and doctoral degree in marriage and family therapy from Kansas State University. Currently, he teaches full-time at BYU-Idaho in marriage and family studies and oversees their online program. He has taught numerous courses in his career, such as human development, marriage, marriage prep, marriage skills, parenting, and relationship education. Dr. Ratcliffe maintains a small private clinical practice where he conducts individual marriage and family therapy, including discernment counseling. He has been married for 16 years to his wife, Jenna, and together they have five, almost six, children. In his spare time, he enjoys spending time with his family, hiking, hunting, playing sports, and watching college football. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection, my friends. We're glad you're here with us for another episode. I'm Dr. Dave Schramm here at Utah State University alongside Dr. Liz Hale, our licensed clinical psychologist. We are aiming to bring you the best tips and tools as well as some principles and practices really to help you have the marriage of your dream I am super excited about our guest today. He's a marriage and family therapist and a professor at BYU-Idaho. He has years of experience teaching marriage-related classes and has a private practice where he helps couples who are on the brink of divorce. Now, I first became aware of Dr. Ratcliffe years ago when I read about his relationship needs circle and video, which I continue to use when I speak on the topic of marriage. Dr. Cole Ratcliffe, welcome to Stronger Marriage Connection, my friend. Thanks for having me. Grateful to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Now, we're going to get to the relationship needs circle here soon enough, but can we start off a bit more broadly? You say that bad behavior in relationships is, it's annoying, but, but it's normal, completely normal. And in your article, you point out 10 unhelpful things we do in marriage. Can you tell us more about uh, you know, the annoying and the bad behaviors in marriage and why they're so common? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, because we're human, Dave, um, I think right. when, when we're dealing with our own imperfections and the imperfections of our spouse, it's surely to bring out both annoying and bad behavior. But I, I guess it's important for me to just kind of distinguish between annoying behavior and bad behavior, bad relationship behavior. So annoying behaviors are typically, I mean, they're there regardless of whether your spouse is there. Like, I don't pick up after myself or I load the dishwasher a particular way. That's that can be annoying behavior. Um, bad, bad behavior is different. The bad relationship behavior is a little bit different, whereas it's generally a response to the relationship in some form. 
Um, these are typically rooted from deeper challenges. Um, common ones that I see and or do or experience is just criticizing, nagging, intentionally withholding love or affection. Um, a lot of micromanagement. You'll notice that some of these actually bad behaviors come out in parenting too. Um, lying, defensiveness, you know, et, et cetera. But I think the main thing about why these are so common is I think because, because they're coming from somewhere deeper, they're covert. Like there's this covert process that's, uh, that, that's happening that couples are typically not aware of, which makes it more difficult to address. And I think they persist because they don't know why they're happening. And so they're just kind of throwing darts at a dartboard but it's a moving target. They're not sure what's going on. So I think that's why they're so common is because we're usually ignorant of why they're there to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And uh, you know, many of us as spouses, right? I'm certainly guilty of this Cole and Dave that what I find is helpful to my husband, Ben, he finds as controlling. It does make matters worse. So Tell us more about this unhealthy pattern we all tend to do and why, why we keep doing it, even when it doesn't help. Please, Cole. Yeah, so I, I think we keep doing, we're, we keep trying to be helpful. I, and I, if you're just listening to this, I'm doing helpful in air quotes. So I think we're trying to be helpful because we, we don't know what else to do. Um, I'll give you an example from my personal life. So I grew up not ever really developing the habit to clean up my own dishes, so I get married and my wife is like, not okay with this. And so, so she tries different things. She's like, Hey, do this, do this, do this. And then she eventually said, her name's Jenna. I said, Jenna, that's not helpful. And so she's like, okay, then I won't help you. Because in her mind, all that she could do to help was like, knock it off, stop it. And I think a lot of times we feel this impulse to do something, you know, Usually, um, with bad relationship behavior, it provokes emotional discomfort and we don't know how to handle that. And so we got to do something. And so typically we just kind of do whatever comes naturally, which is usually not very well thought out. Um, and oftentimes actually we, we respond to our partner's bad behavior with our own bad behavior. And so like a, a general example, a common example, wife begins to nag about really anything it could be. Um, cause nagging, although it might be about a particular issue, it's often related to something deeper. So a wife nags about a particular issue. Husband doesn't like it. So what does he do? He shuts down. He stays at the office longer. He avoids her, whatever. Right. So how does she respond? Nagging even more, <laughs> more nagging. And, and I think it's sad because it's, uh, this pattern can ebb and flow for literally years. I, I went through this process with a couple once a few years ago and had them, as I described this process and they're like, yeah, there's like this wall that we put up in between us because we've just kind of your bad behaviors reacting to my bad behavior and vice versa. So it just kind of completely deteriorates the, the feelings of love and connection. Ah, oh, painful. Ah, oh, right. Just hurts. Hurts to see it. Hurts to be in it. I get it. Yeah. And that pattern of like just reacting to that behavior again, with it's like, don't be a jerk to a jerk, but it's like, what else do we do? We don't, we don't know what to do. So Cole, I love the, um, the, the things that will, that you've talked about in this article, um, and just all of your work really generally, I think the turning point for me in much of your work is, is digging a bit deeper and then truly understanding 
I guess you call it the why, the why behind bad behavior. Why do we keep making poor choices and doing dumb things in marriage? Why do we get, how do we get stuck in this? Yeah. Well, I mean, to go back to something I, uh, we just kind of were talking about with emotions, I think as humans, we're pretty, we're emotional creatures and we, we tend to react out of emotion. And in addition to that, um, we're imperfect and marriage is hard. And so I think we just kind of go, when we go with the flow, we usually go with the emotion and, and it just, I don't know, we're, we're kind of taught in our society that good marriages should just happen and that love should just take care of itself. But it just doesn't happen. Our, our needs are not going to be magically met in, in marriage. And so what, what I, the way I view it is these bad behaviors, these bad relationship behaviors, they spring from deep and unmet needs. So I'll try to articulate this visually. So at the very center of the core, you've got um, these core psychological needs. And different theories suggest, you know, we have different needs. Uh, I've pulled most of the needs that I've placed in my article from self-determination theory, which is a powerful psychological theory, and then attachment theory. And, and there are more. But what happens is, is when these needs are not met, and I'm talking needs such as security, love and connection, autonomy, respect, belonging and acceptance, competence, growth. You know, it's interesting. So sometimes in a couple relationship, the, the needs, they'll both be deep and they'll be present, but they'll kind of contradict. So for example, I feel like I'm growing and progressing in life to a degree when my retirement savings is getting bigger. My wife feels like she's growing and progressing when she is beautifying the home. Well, those both require money. So when I invest in my needs, I'm putting in my retirement savings. She likes to invest in her needs by beautifying the home. And I think we both have valid points. But if we don't know that those needs are underneath the surface, it's easy just kind of to react to things. So what happens if you've, well, you've got these needs at the, at the core, then outside of this, you've got um, two levels of emotions that kind of come from this. So think, I think about like a bullseye. So at the very core, you've got needs. Outside of that, right next to the, the needs, you've got primary emotions, and then you've got secondary emotions. And on the outside, you've got behavior. So if I were to summarize the, the answer to your question, Dave, when we have core psychological needs that go unmet, it becomes increasingly difficult to manage our relationship behavior. So this, I mean, this is because a need, when a need goes unmet, it, it flares up powerful emotion that tend to cloud our judgment, motivate our behavior. And it's just easier to be emotionally reactive when we experience deep and unmet needs, uh, which is why I think it kind of persists because the emotions get so, so strong. Mm, yeah. And then when our needs go unmet, it increases certain emotions, right? Tell us more about that primary, secondary. I suppose you just did, Cole, but anything else you want to say? And Cole, can I, you know, I was just thinking, as you were just talking, I'm so sorry, I thought about a, a young woman I taught in a church class, and she announced she went to Utah State, so I'm in Salt Lake, we're a ways away, and she announced she was getting married a couple years ago. And uh, shortly after they married, a few months later, she wanted to meet with me. And so we met, and she said, Liz, I am so mad because everybody lied to me. Nobody told me how difficult marriage was going to be. I thought you'd just find the one, the fact that you feel good about it and all is well. And 
they had really struggled for a good two years of their marriage. I got a Christmas card, so I think that's a very good sign. I don't hear very much from her now, but I thought it's never left me that everybody lied to me by not sharing that this is going to be hard. That interesting because it is hard. And we think, like you said, love is going to take care of it. Yeah. And, you know, it would be nice if it did, right? It would be nice if you just, you got married and it just happened. The truth is, it's just, um, it really, I found this personally, that marriage can be the great revealer of weaknesses. And then you add upon parenthood. And it just, when you live with your own weaknesses and the imperfections and weakness of the spouse, it can be very challenging. Um, I did want to just dive a little bit deeper into these two layers of emotions because I think they're important. So what happens so when a need gets flared up, like, for example, let's say you don't feel competent. Let's say that I'll, th- I'll give you an example. So a husband um, doesn't feel like he's providing adequately for his for his wife and his children. And his, and his wife, who doesn't want to go to work, goes to work because they just need money to make ends meet. And and he there's like this unspoken rule that he's violating, but she doesn't. Blame him, but it's just kind of there. So he doesn't feel competent. So what happens is the next layer out, the first layer of emotion, their primary emotions. Now, these are powerful, but kind of, again, like kind of covert emotions. We're talking, you know, disappointment or fear, shame, um, just hurt, disappointment, loneliness. I mean, if you think about the way we kind of... um the way we socialize boys, we don't really socialize boys very well to say, hey, I'm lonely or I'm scared. But if you're human, you'll be lonely at times and it won't feel good. And you'll be scared at times and it won't feel good. So what happens is on. So we have these primary emotions. Now, if a couple can actually talk about their problems at that, at that deeper level, they can bring each other closer together. So primary emotions bring people closer together. Whereas secondary emotions push people further apart. So secondary emotions are very reactive. They just happen. The, the two most common ones I have observed are anger and anxiety. And it's interesting because anger can look different ways for different people and so can anxiety. But it's, it's tough because I think that one of the solutions as we try to work through connection is to get to the deeper level. But we typically don't talk primary emotions because, number one, we're unaware that they're there. Number two, it requires a lot of vulnerability to, to admit that you're either feeling ashamed or scared or hurt. And maybe we don't feel like we can do that. And I guess the last reason why I think we often don't talk at the primary emotion level is because primary emotions don't look like primary emotions. Primary emotions look like secondary emotions. When we're scared, we look angry. When we're hurt, we look angry. You know, when we're, you know, when we're disappointed or lonely, we might look anxious. And so, and those are, those are more prickly emotions. So I guess that's what I would kind of add with those, that, those different emotional layers. We'll be right back after this brief message. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. 
In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're back. Well, let's dive right in. Yeah, that's really helpful, Cole. I'm just thinking of and on our listeners, I'm sure they'll be thinking, okay, in our in their own relationships right now, what what are kind of the relationship struggle? And often we re- react to the outside behaviors, not realizing that there's this, you know, this underlying need, this underlying need to feel close, safe, secure. And if I don't, then I feel lonely or I get frustrated. Then, yeah, I'm, I might get really angry and then I see this behavior and then we're kind of fighting out here on the edges, not knowing, really realizing this, this deeper need that is, is not being uh, met, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, it's tough because when you are, when, again, we have this expectation that when you get married, your needs are met. And what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, these, these psychological needs, we've had these from the time we were children, right? And our parents, as great as they were or were not, they, they didn't meet all of our needs perfectly. Or we've had other, you know, past romantic relationships where we've been, our securities have kind of flared up. We feel insecure. And so sometimes we actually come into a marriage in need deficit already. And then what we do is we expect our partner not only to meet the natural needs of that relationship, but we want them to fill in the blanks from all the past relationships that didn't go well. And so we, and and when they don't, we feel justified. But I think it's very, very clear. Nothing excuses. There's no justification for bad relationship behavior. Um, I do, I hope though, as we consider that these bad behaviors are coming from somewhere else, from deeper emotions and needs, I hope that facilitates more felt compassion for ourselves and for others. And hopefully maybe just kind of soften our interactions with one another when we experience some of this prickly behavior. Hmm. I think that's an important point, Cole, because some, you know, the bells are maybe ringing, going off in, in the listeners' heads, and then they, they might have this, okay, they can start justifying their bad relationship behavior because of, of they start kind of analyzing all this. So, and yeah, that's, that's a good caution, I think, for our listeners here is not to not justify bad behavior, right? Nothing does. And it's, and it's I mean, like I said, it's tough. But I, I do think we need to take as individuals, and, and this is kind of how I view things clinically, as well as just personally, I think we need to take personal responsibility for our emotions. We need to take personal responsibility for, um, for having these needs met. And what I mean by that is your partner can't meet a need that they don't know is there. And one of the things I encounter with, with clients and with students is they want to know, well, how do I know what my needs are? Well, I think all humans need to feel secure. All humans need to feel like they belong somewhere, that they're accepted, that they're loved, respected, like they're growing or progressing. Like everybody needs to feel these things. And so that's a great place to start. But I, but I do think it's important that we don't put too much pressure on our spouse to meet all of our needs. I think we need to maybe diversify a little bit. I know that when I'm working with religious couples um, on issues like this, that they often will turn to God 
uh, and seek to have, to be secure in the relationship with God or to feel accepted um, by a higher power. And, and that, that actually helps reduce some of the, the bad behavior. But if, if you want your needs met and your partner's not doing it, well, number one, you should probably consider, okay, well, what's going on? Are there things I'm doing to make it harder to meet my needs? And then do they even understand what these needs are? I think it can be a real connecting experience for couples to just when when things are not conflictual to talk about some of these needs and how and how they've experienced them in their lives before their marriage and in their marriage. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Not relying on our partners to meet all of our our needs or even us, you know, not expecting ourselves to meet all of our own needs. But uh, it's a balance for sure. That is a big that's a huge misunderstanding as I see it in marriage therapy. Right. The expectation that. You, it is your job to make me happy, right? If I'm not happy, then maybe I need to look elsewhere. Just the feelings, we, we give credence to, to our feelings so much of the time. I think you see that too, yeah. Cole. Mm-hmm. Well, and it, honestly, I, I often say to my, and I try to make this very clear with my couples up, up front, is once I've got them both committed that they want to work on their marriage, because if not, we've got to do something else. But they're both committed to work on their marriage. Um. I like to use the relationship need circle to help understand what's going on. But I'll be honest, I don't know that it's best in determining um, what to do moving forward. And, and that might sound contradictory a little bit. But what I mean by that is I'm concerned that sometimes when I teach the relationship need circle, that partner A, you know, the husband doesn't feel that he can become less reactive until his wife you know, um, shows more love or engages more, you know, with his sexual desires or whatever. And I think that the key really is you've got to say, wait a second, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to do my best as a spouse to try to meet your needs. I'll be imperfect in my efforts, but I'm going to, I'm going to try. So. Love it. Love it. And you have five steps of eliminating bad behavior. Please walk us through those. Yeah. And if it was just this easy, you do these five, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. you read this in a book, you do five, these things, eliminate all bad behavior. Um, yeah. um, so that's not going to happen, but I will say this. I will say that eliminating bad behavior with two imperfect people in a marriage, you have to play the long game. The relationship needs circles about playing the long game because generally bad behavior I'm trying to fix things usually comes from usually the secondary emotion of anger or anxiety. And it's, it's a quick fix that actually rarely works in the moment and just makes things worse in the long run. But if I were to give five steps, I guess, to how can you do this? I think number one, I kind of alluded to this, but you've got to take personal responsibility. You cannot change somebody else. Um, I, you know, there's a, another diagram I use in some of my work called the personal power grid where you've got to focus on the things you can control and that is not your partner. So number one, you have to identify, draw a line in the sand with what you can and can't control and focus on what you can control. Number two, and this would be the overarching theme, I guess, is instead of reacting to your partner's bad behavior, whether they're yelling or nagging or withholding love, instead of reacting to that, respond to the need underneath. Consider what is going on? Like, I'm seeing this, I'm experiencing this, but where is it coming from? You know, she's anxious. Well, what's, what's, what's underneath her anxiety? Or he's angry. What's underneath that? And so I think responding to the need, not reacting to the behavior is the second, the second thing. 
Number three is you've got to identify the things that you need to stop doing, because I would suspect it's not just your partner that's got these problems. It's also you. And so I would ask yourself these questions like, what are some of the small and simple things that you do that send the message to your spouse that they are not competent or that, that you don't accept them or that you don't love them or that you don't respect them? And I think if you'll give a careful assessment of your day-to-day behavior, there's oftentimes really subtle things we do, whether it's during conflict or when we're not getting what we want, that we send the message, you're not good enough or I don't love you, or I don't like you. And I think identify those things and say, sorry. And, 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 and do this without, or I'll say this, do this with the proper word, the proper use of the word, but I think if you, if you use the word, but in an apology, it needs to be, I am sorry that I have spoke condescending to you. Then usually we say, but, cause we want to, we want them to understand that, I'm not an, I'm not a jerk. I was just, I had a reason. So you, you give the apology and then you say, um, sometimes I just, I'm not thinking clearly when this happens, but that's not an excuse. I'm sorry. Right. So you apologize for your bad behavior without excuse. Is that number three, number four? And I think this is, this can be pretty cool. Identify the small and simple things that you could do in a sustainable way. I'll give you an example. Um, about this, but things you could do to meet these needs of feeling love or connected over the long haul. I did some work with the couple several years ago and both couple, both partners had engaged in infidelity. There was a lot of security issues, um, but they wanted to try to make it work. And I, as I was going through this process, I asked the wife, I said, what would be helpful for you for your, what, what could your husband do to send the message loud and clear that he loves you and that he's not going anywhere? And she said, well, if, if as soon as he got home from work, instead of going to the fridge, if he came and found me, gave me a hug for five or 10 seconds and said, I love you. That's it. If he could do that, I would just feel like, oh, I can do the rest of the day. Right. And that's, you know, if that husband does that once, that's great and that's powerful. But can you imagine if that husband does that every single workday for the next year, the next five years, her sense of love and acceptance is going to go through the roof. But that, but that doesn't happen all at once. It's got to be over time. So, um, so let me give you some other examples. I think of things that couples might do. Cause I think sometimes when couples are in a tough spot, they have a hard, they just, they can't think of anything to do. They just want it better. So here's some things that I found that help meet some of these needs. Set some time aside each day. Just listen to your partner without judgment. Not fixing, just listening. As, as friends, not as coworkers or as enemies, as friends, right? Um, number two, initiate non-sexual touch at least once a day. I mean... That's one of the things that should set apart your marriage from other relationships is the fact that you can be physically intimate, sexual or not, but engage in physical touch uh, daily. Um, saying I love you in a meaningful way. You know, every, you know, when my wife says I, she loves me, I appreciate it. And, but she's learned over the, our years of marriage that there are more powerful ways to say the words I love you. But we do need to say those words I love you. Uh, putting your phone away. Put your phone away for a couple hours each night. 
sometimes I'll ask couples, I said, Hey, can you imagine what your relationship would be like if you, if you invested as much time in your marriage as you did on your smartphone? And if they just made that shift, it could be powerful. Um, putting love notes around the house, you know, finding small ways to serve them, picking up one of their, their typical duties. Um, I don't know. I, I just think there's a lot of little things we can do. And those are some examples, but hopefully they, well, can they, I, they get people started. Yeah. Can I put you on the spot, Cole, and ask you, so what is totally. it that, and what's more powerful? How does she say, I love you in a more powerful way? What have you noticed? What? That's a, yeah, like that's to- a great question. You know, without being too, without being too personal, uh, honestly, um, cause saying I love you is tough for my wife. Right. And I, you know, and honestly, when I think about my family upbringing, we don't do the whole I love you thing. That's not, that's not the way my family rolls. Right. So I've tried to break out of that a little bit. Um, so when she says that, I really like it. But honestly, when, um, there's something that she did because I am pretty good at deflecting praise. I don't want to hear certain things about myself, but about a year ago for my birthday, I don't like attention. For a year ago for my birthday, she contacted as many of my friends as she could on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and had them share one thought about me that they appreciated. And she, then she posted those all over my office. And while I say I love you was, was, was always powerful, she, that, was, that was thoughtful. It's something that she knew that I needed that I would never ask for. I would never say, hey, can you go talk to my friends and find out what they like about me? You know? So that's perfect. But, but honestly, Liz, the other thing is, is and when my wife initiates sexual activity or just physical, like, connection, and cuddle, okay, with one exception, she's a cuddler at night. Me, I'm like sleeping on the other side, snug on my pillow. I see some space. I guess it just gets so hot. But if she approaches me when I get home and she gives me a kiss, that sends the message to the because that's hard for her. And I recognize that she, you know, she puts a lot of effort in that. So hopefully that wasn't TMI. Beautiful. Thank you for that. We are, we like TMI actually along here, around here. That helps listeners connect with us. So thank you for that. Thank you for doing the same. Yeah, it really does. Well, I love those, those. No, go ahead, Cole. Well, I was just going to say, I guess the just the last last thing, and I've already kind of mentioned this, but um, I it's interesting. You can flare up an unmet need in an instant. You can wreck emotional security with a single word or an action, right? But it takes days, months, and years to really fulfill those needs, especially if somebody's come into the marriage in need deficit. And so I think it's important that people find um, small things to do, but also to be patient, just to be patient with yourself and with others. But anyways, that, that'd be the, the, the fifth step. But I apologize, Dave, I interrupted you. No, no, I love that. Um, Cole, thanks for kind of breaking those down for, for couples and individuals. And I think even in our show notes, we'll break those down. Yeah, concretely, we'll put links and things to to more of your information. Cole, we like to ask all of our listeners this, this question. What in your mind is the key to a stronger marriage connection? Um, I believe in the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. And I think, um, I think it's important to invest in very specific. We talk about like investing in your marriage, but investing in your conflict management, investing in your sex life, investing in emotional disclosure, investing in partnership, right? I think all those are important. But I think one investment that is is most significant 
is I think when you invest in yourself as an unselfish spouse, I think that investment does more to, to producing loving connections and feelings than anything else. Because it's my belief that whenever you think or act or speak selfishly, it's only a matter of time before you feel less love and connection. So I think investing in your unselfishness as a spouse would probably be what I would say. So hmm. I really like that. I've never, I've never heard it quite like that. Cool. I really like that. Invest because yeah, investing in yourself, but in your, in your unselfishness, right? It's basically like this turning outward and thinking about your, your partner, and, and, which takes awareness and it takes noticing and, and being kind of present in their, in their world to see what they need. I love that. Yeah. And just to recognize that we're all pretty self-aware, right? We're all pretty self-absorbed, just kind of the natural way about us. Ah, nicely said. Uh, Cole, where can listeners go for more information about you and your exceptional resources you have? Yeah, so I've got I've I've got a blog that started not as a joke, but as a way to actually change the dating culture of BYU Idaho. So people call BYU Idaho BYU I do, and so we're trying to adjust that and make it more appropriate. So I actually created a website. It's called byuido.org. Dot um, com was taken by a ring somebody who sold rings at Improvo. So we've got byuido.org where I've got a lot of this information I've shared with you today. It's all so good. It's a plethora of information. You've done a lot of work, my friend, for helping those of us in the field, and plus some. Yeah, yeah, very well done. Thanks, Cole. Hey, as we wrap up uh, our time together, let's let's each just share our, our takeaway of the day. We like to, to wrap things up. What is it, Cole, a takeaway message you hope our listeners will remember from, from today? I think within the context of what we discussed today, I think that... Generally speaking, people are good, but they don't always act good. But if we can understand a little bit more why they're acting less good, I guess, if we, if we use that term, I think we'll get much more traction in our marital connection if we look what's going on beneath the surface at the underlying emotions and needs. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Liz, what about you? What's your takeaway? Why is he, why is he behaving less good? I really like that. Um, you know, I, I love uh, I love changing butt around. I thought you were going to go a different direction, Cole. I thought you were going to say I have been a butt, <laughs> but in reality, I have uh, because we yeah, me too. Uh, because we like to use that butt when our an apo- our apologizing. I think it's just so well said. But that's no excuse, right? But uh, yeah, I think that's just so well said. But that's no excuse for me. That's my takeaway, Dave. What about you? Yeah, that's really clever. Uh, Cole, I haven't heard that either. That's really good. I think the, the takeaway for me um, is that I, I love this whole idea when it really, when I like read this article, it really resonated with me. And I thought, man, we got to get Cole on here. And I, I think it comes down to, and Cole, maybe I'm, I'm not getting this quite right, but you talked about how you don't, don't react to the behavior, but you respond to the need. Is that somewhat kind of what you're, you're talking about with that? That's, that's exactly right, Dave. Yeah. And, and we're just so quick to react because that's what we see. And that's the man, it triggers us emotionally. So I just, I really like that, that message. And so I hope our listeners will remember that don't, don't react to the behavior and that what that's with your teenager, that's with your toddler, that's everything else mm-hmm. is to, to see the unmet need, the inner need, take some humility and yeah. some patience and, and practice uh, to, to get that right. So 
Wow. Well, Cole, Reckless, uh, man, we sure appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on today and, uh, and for sharing what you have with us. Dave, Liz, nice meeting you kind of in person, and I appreciate the time to visit. Yeah. Idaho is lucky to have you. Yeah, really, they really so, are. For all of us. Thank well, that's you. all, my friends. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of Stronger Marriage Connection. We'll see you next time. And remember, it's the small things that make a stronger marriage connection. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, do us a favor and take a few minutes to subscribe to our podcast and the Utah Marriage Commission YouTube channel, where you can watch this and every episode of the show. When you hit the like button and leave a comment, your feedback helps us improve the show. And don't forget to share this episode with a friend. You can also follow and connect with us on Instagram at Stronger Marriage Life and on Facebook at Stronger Marriage. Be sure to share with us what topics you want us to explore or what you loved about today's episode. If you want even more resources to improve your relationship connection, visit our website at strongermarriage.org where you'll find free workshops, webinars, relationship surveys, and more. Each episode of Stronger Marriage Connection is hosted and sponsored by the Utah Marriage Commission at Utah State University. And finally, a big thanks to our producers Rex Polanis and Alexis Alcott and the team at Utah State University. And you, our audience, you make this show possible. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.